Welcome to Old Town New World. We're here in Rock Hill, South Carolina at Millstone Pizza. I'm Jason Broadwater. I'm Chris Trevay. And we're here to talk about the ever-changing world of Small Town USA. So here we are today, of course, Chris and I here eating some flatbread and uh, drinking a beverage here at Millstone. And joining us, as always, is uh, wise and handsome, silent uh, Micah. Well said, Micah. Well said. Um, I actually think what he just said was totally invalid. I think it was inappropriate, but still valid, I would say. Well, you don't have to scream it to be right. <laughs> now, we also have with us a guest... Mr. Robbie Goggins. Welcome, Robbie Goggins. Ah, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Hey, man. Glad to be here. We're glad you're here. Um, and, and thank you. We're being served some beverages. Thank you, ma'am. Appreciate it. For the record, Robbie is his first name. Goggins is his last name. Wait a minute. We're making a record? Yeah. <laughs> just, for the, just so the record's really good. So for the vinyl <laughs> cut, we're just clarifying. Um, it's not just Robbie Goggins. Like, he's from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> So, Robbie Goggins, um, <laughs> where, tell us where you're from and how you got to Rock Hill, South Carolina. And are you from Lord of the Rings? Uh, well, not, 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 not specifically, uh, but um, I grew up in Chester, South Carolina, small town, um, for about 11 years, and then uh, recently moved here with, with my parents uh, to Rock Hill in 2001, um, and I've been here ever since for the past few 10 years and I, and I love this a lot better you know I must say than Chester, Chester. Oh, yeah. but don't tell them I said that yeah, uh, but, uh, you know but uh, yeah yeah now Chester's trying to revitalize their little downtown too it's a beautiful little downtown if it could ever you know get some activity going right, right? Um, it's going to be noticeably awkward the next time I hang out with Chester though <laughs> when I'm trying not to tell them what you said I mean me and you both man you know I mean <laughs> trying to explain right. that you know to the family or friends about there but uh, you know we won't even go there so so you went to, I see you're wearing a Clemson ball cap. You went yeah. to Clemson? Yeah, um, go Tigers. Um, I graduated last December uh, with a degree in audio engineering. So, Degree in audio engineering, great. Wow. Yes. So that brings us to, and we're kind of bouncing around and we'll come back to this, but that brings us to the connectivity of what got you here to this podcast is you recently did some audio engineering with on a project with Micah, is that right? Yeah, um, so for the Underexposed uh, Film Festival uh, this past November, back in 2015, um, I was tapped to run sound for that, um, and I had a blast doing it. Um, you know, got to see some great film, short films, you know, specifically Micah's. Um, what was it? Uh, the Gospel of Hip Bones. It was yeah. Very cool. Very and cool. And I should say that it's Chris and Micah's film. Sorry, Chris. Yeah, oh, mostly man. mine. Only <laughs> a little bit. Micah, he said like one thing on there. I mostly said it all. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, great, great film. You know, all around. So, you know, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. I should be proud of that film. Oh, well, thank you very much. I, I will say, as a filmmaker, that, like, very much appreciate that someone who's running sound at a film festival because that's, it's something that, sound is something that I think that is so important. I think as an audience member, you may not even always be totally aware of it, but if sound isn't good, then you don't have anything. I right. mean, people can't, people, we need that experience of, like, the audio so much more than I think we realize. So... I applaud your efforts. Well, thank you. And, and of course, you know, I mean, we get noticed when things go wrong. But, you know, yeah. like you said, you know, other than that, yeah. you know, we just fade into the background. But, um, it's like we expect it to sound great. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the person who really appreciates that kind of work that's, that, that can appreciate nuances of, oh, man, they really brought it around. They had bass in there that really made it rumble. Or right. Most people are just like, of course it's going to sound good. And if it doesn't, then somebody's messing up. Right. Yeah, it's one of those unfortunate kind of careers. Like, I think if somebody goes and sees a band, it's same thing, you know. They probably notice if the sound is bad or they can't hear the vocals or this is too loud, that's too loud, that's too quiet. But when it sounds really just top of the game, as good as it can sound, that's only the nerds that notice. Exactly. Like, <laughs> are, you, um, are you into sound in, in all of its different <clears throat> deployments? Like, would you love to do live music or are you more specifically into maybe uh, film or film festivals or where are you on that um well i would like to do something more controlled so in a studio you know with with live sound anything can go wrong so feedback um a cable goes bad um so you know at least with you know you know in a studio there's like processes so you know setup 
and then the recording, and then the post. Um, so that's a lot more controlled. So definitely post-production for film, uh, television, maybe even, even radio. Um, but, you know, I enjoy my live sound, too. So I always keep you on my toes. So why, um, it, let's say you want to you be in a controlled environment and do sound. A lot of that could be in the world of film, obviously. That's where a lot of that opportunity could exist. You know, in, uh, in, in music as well. But <clears throat> why have you not up and gone to Hollywood? Man, well, I know one of my biggest fears, and that's just part of being a country boy, is just uprooting and then just going somewhere blind with no plan, um, no family, no friends around um, as a support mechanism. Um, um, and not just L.A., but even to, you know, Austin or, you know, some other big city, even um, um, Atlanta. Um, and just being afraid of just uprooting and just going somewhere with no plan. Um, but, um, I mean, this is definitely not out of the cards, though. I mean, it's, you know, I'm... I'm more than willing. I just have to, I guess, get my grip, I guess. I don't know. So if you found a genie or a leprechaun who, for whom, whose gold you could keep him from unless he granted your wish, um, like for your career, like the one job in the universe, magic, which job do you choose? Oh, wow. Um, well, this is a PG, um, this is a PG yeah. podcast. Oh, no. uh, <laughs> well, um, I would love to just... Again, you know, being in a studio um, and just editing sound or, or even making my own music. You know, I write just a little bit. Um, and coming from a music background as a as a as a keyboard player, um, just you know, getting my own stuff out there. Would that or, be the form of scores or just your own kind of? Um, I do scores. Um, so either with uh, what is it? Finale uh, um, or. Stuff like that, or even with Pro Tools. So just strictly, you know, be a be a be a synthesizer. Um, so. So it's more on the creative side of it, then. That's exactly. where you're interested in. Exactly. Interesting. So, Versus uh, the engineer piece, because I mean, but you sound like you 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 enjoy process and systems and the engineer aspect of it too. Yeah, and see, I just like to do it all. So you know, when someone says, you know, what do you want to do? I'm like, I don't know, because I'm pretty decent at, at all of it, you know. Uh, so. Well, I, the question I asked you about why haven't you, you know hitched up the wagon and headed to Hollywood is a loaded question because we've had a lot of conversations on this podcast about how in the in today's world, in today's economy, kind of the new world, you don't have to go to those places. I mean, while yes, more collisions could equal more opportunities, you know, more people that you run into that you could potentially work with, that you have drinks with or whatever, collisions equals opportunity. But with with little town cities like Rock Hill revitalizing where you have the creative folks of the town coming to the center and hanging out in Millstone and hanging out wherever you have an, a decent amount of collisions whereas before like in Chester there's not that many collisions right. you know you go to work you come home you didn't run into anybody interesting I mean the, creatively interesting all day right. you know and nothing against Chester but you know that's just the way it is right. Definitely. Uh, so so if we're able in a smaller city to create more of those types of collisions, it sounds like that it might be a preference of someone like yourself because of family roots and connectivity and stuff, that if you could generate those opportunities here, that that could be a wonderful option for you. And I agree. Um, and I definitely see audio shifting from more of a big, huge, major studio to people on their laptops using Pro Tools or using Audacity, using... Um, garage band instead of paying to use someone's big studio you know with the big um, software examples yeah. sorry um, and instead of just using all the big fancy expensive you know um, equipment and and softwares um, things are a lot simpler than they used to be um, um, I guess um, so so I'm interested because you're you're younger you're you're 10 years old yep I'm only 10 guys <laughs> at the time of recording <laughs> But you're, you're, you're considerably younger than me. Yeah. I graduated much... You're like 62. Yeah, I'm 60 and 63 and 64. It's getting... Uh, I've, made, I've made accelerated growth rate yeah. um, because of some medication. Backwards like uh, the button <laughs> yeah. guy. The button yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so now I'm in reverse. But um, what I'm going to say is that... So it's funny because you, you know, you're embarking in a career in audio engineering of whatever kind. It sounds to me like you're just kind of open to whatever, you have preferences, right. but you just want to pursue, that's what you're interested in is auto, audio engineering. Um, and it's funny to hear you, that you talk about the way that there's been this move from, like if you have a band right now or you're just a musician, whatever, <clears throat> 
as, as soon as 10 years ago, maybe maybe even 15 years ago, that meant you had to save up your you know your clams and then go pay for a studio somewhere. Right. And nowadays, it, it doesn't mean that at all. Right. I and mean, and you're not threatened by that. Um, not really. Um, I mean, again, uh, so if I wanted to get my my own music out of there, I mean, all I could do was just go to my living room or go to my bathroom with a great acoustics um, and just record from right there instead of, like you said, paying for like 150 per day, um, yeah. you know, just to rent out a studio somewhere. Because um, it's, it's uh, what I'm saying is like, it's, I think it's, just, it shows that, and I, I agree with you, I'm with you, that's yeah. so exciting that anyone can control that kind of stuff. I have to have my suspicions that if we had someone in their 60s who had been doing audio engineering their whole lives, I wonder what they'd be saying about that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And the question is, like, what what does it mean? What's the what's the positive of the fact that uh, we have a culture where anybody can do those things? What are the negatives? I mean, I don't know. I guess well, it's an- you know, it's interesting, Chris. You look at when things when you get down to um, like money, for example. That often the barrier to entry into something is the thing that creates the value that can be turned into money. So if it's harder for people to be able to record their own stuff, those who can do it charge a significant amount of money to do it. Right. <clears throat> yeah, and so and that's fine and that's good. <clears throat> but when those things, when disruptive technologies come around and crack those things open where now anyone can do it, you have several things happen at the same time. First of all, you have a lot of just crap flood the world. You know, and then crap bloods of the world. No quality, yeah. <laughs> and then, but then you have all kinds of innovation happen that would have not happened otherwise. Absolutely. And so it's refreshing. And I, if I, Chris, I don't mean to speak for you, but if I may, I feel like you're kind of expressing this towards our guest here. It's refreshing that you have the level of skill and. Um, and desire to be one of those people that could have been on the other side of that barrier to entry, yet you're excited about the open environment. You know, is that fair, Chris? Yeah, that's exactly what I was saying. I think it's really cool that you you talk about this. This is your career you're interested in, and you have zero anxiety about it. Yeah, and I mean, it's a positive thing. You really that's a really positive way that, <clears throat> to look at it. Right. Um, and again, you know, like I said, I'm open. Um, I mean, I, if I get a job with a great studio, great. If not, that's great too. Um, but. Um, yeah, uh, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think like Jason was saying, that's totally true. That the access means that we're hearing, you know, things from people that we may have heard nothing from before. And I would think even further, <clears throat> it's not so much that that's damaging to the industry of recording, in a way, because to me and my what I my observation is that mostly what the traditional recording industry loses. <clears throat> is those people who were going to go spend a bunch of money on a recording and never go anywhere, I guess. Because the thing is, ultimately, the sort of higher level, once somebody makes it, quote unquote, or whatever, that's still going to those really nice, expensive studios. And it's just like what we do with movies. The threshold, the sort of above-the-line kind of film or the the above-the-line kind of recording, nothing has changed about that. It's as expensive or more expensive than it ever was. But below that, that's what's changed. And I think that instead of having a situation where you just had, like I said, you're, you're maybe losing the people who either just would never have recorded anything. You know, I think, I think that when we talk about that market of people who are recording at home or whatever, I, it seems logically like we're talking about a chunk that's been taken out of an existing market when I don't think that's really true. Yeah, they never would have gone to a recording studio to begin with. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like I think a lot of the kids that are at home recording things or whatever, some of which might, you know, incredible songwriters or whatever, they would they wouldn't have, you know. It, it, either way, the, the sort of seemingly where that's this big bite that gets taken out of it, I think that there's some give and take there, and I think that above the line, it's still a big industry. Yeah, there. And even when it launches, superstars like uh, Bieber Swift or whatever, you have uh, they end up uh, I, um, in the uh... Randy Travis. <laughs> no, that's not what happened. With him. Billy, Billy he uh, Ray Cyrus. <laughs> They end up in that above-the-line paradigm anyway. Yeah. So, so Robbie, if I can go back to you yeah. and ask you, how did you how did you start with audio? Why audio? It is weird. Um, so, again, I just came from a strictly music background. Um, I started playing um, the piano by the age of six, um, taking lessons at the age of eight. Hated it, but I took them anyway. Um, and then from then on, you know, I moved to the saxophone back in middle school, was in the band. Um, and then when it was time for me to graduate high school, I wanted to do 
computer science. So completely, com just completely left field. Um, and I remember just sitting my first semester in, you know, just that one-on-one -on -one class, and I was like, what am I doing here? I don't know what any of this stuff means. Um, and so I went to my... That's how I feel every single day of my life. Yeah, I, I was like... <laughs> Jason, but that's how I am at work every day. That's how I am at the gas station. I mean, it was like an alien language. I was like... And then it was just C. So I, it was just programming, and I had no idea, you know, what he was talking about. So I went to my, uh, my um, advisor at the time, and she said, you know, what about the audio technology degree? I was like, the what? They have that? Um, and I auditioned, and they let me in strictly on my musical uh, um, just prowess. Really? I had no prior um, DJing, audio, none of that. That's um, a great sign. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and I was very fortunate. Um, and from then on, um, I started from dirt because I was terrible at mixing, terrible at everything. And then I just worked my way up, practice, um, getting help. Um, and here I am today. Um, let me see. I had a... Um, I had a job at a at a local church, uh, Clemson United Methodist, um, and they really helped me make mistakes on the board, um, yeah. and then learning from those mistakes. Oh man, you, you really said it there, man. Until you get out there and, and are able to make mistakes yeah. and learn, you, you really just you're just waiting. Right. You're always kind of building, learning, and waiting until you get to actually screw something up. <laughs> and then you're fired. Like yeah. I said, yeah. but, um, like I said, they were very patient with me, um, and they understood that I was still in school. You know. And I was still learning just like they were still learning their system. Um, and, you know, from that, you know, I helped them plan a, a, a brand new sound system um, for one of their new facilities, um, new speakers, uh, new amps, new new um, digital boards, which is a fantastic board, by the way. Um, and like I said, if I hadn't been able to make those mistakes and, you know, made feedback during the service or, you know, just, you know, stuff like that, I've would have been the audio engineer that I am today. So the, you, you researched all the, the hardware, the technology, the system, the process for them? Yeah, um, and they were like, you know, should we have hardwood floors versus carpet? I was like, you should have hard floors, but if you want to do the carpet, that's that's your decision. You have the money, I'm just offering you my, you know, so, you know uh, but um, I said, mm, maybe not the Yamaha, you know, maybe get the Midas uh, and, you know, stuff like that. Uh, we just met with a construction company yesterday we signed up to be a client great company in town here and they were talking about um, some people that hire them say here's our architectural plans build this bid this and if you're cheap enough you can build this other people say look man I don't really know exactly what I want but I want something awesome and like here's my problem here's my vision here's my dream here's my and and they walk them through Okay, well, let's talk about what you could do, what you know, all that. And there's such a value add in the latter example where they're really walking them through that. And that's to be in that position with that church that you're in, it's, it's a great thing to do. I'd imagine that was a kind of a fun process. It was. And, you know, don't, don't get me wrong. I was by myself. Um, they actually hired a sound company to say, he's right, go with this, or uh, don't listen to him, you know, go with that. Um, but, I mean, Again, it was a learning experience for me as well. Um, and I learned a lot about acoustics, um, stuff that I've never heard of before. I was like, okay, that makes sense. I'll be sure to keep that in mind. But. Did you glue gray foam rectangles to the wall? <laughs> you got me. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, and, you know, prime example. So they're set up um, um, in the new space. Um, all harp, uh, it's, it's all tiles with um, cement walls uh, with a few acoustic paneling. Um, a minus um, M32 digital board, awesome system, um, line arrays, uh, subwoofers, just the whole nine yards. And they were fortunate enough to have the money to do that type of stuff too. Um, whereas, it, I mean, if you go to some of the smaller churches, say in Rock Hill, say in Chester, um, they may not have that type of money, but you can still have people to give you sound advice too. Um, as far as, as that stuff goes, so. Um, yeah, that kind of technology isn't, <clears throat> like we, we're constantly talking about how this technology or that technology makes this or that yeah. incredibly cheap, but the truth is that kind of stuff, it's not really true, like like sound, like audio stuff like that, right? Uh, say that again, I'm sorry. Well, I'm talking about, I'm talking about like, the, like if you're, if you're gonna invest in a, a and this is, I'm on the sidetrack here a little bit, I'm just okay. curious no, because, no. Because it's techno, I'm, I'm very curious about how technology affects the cost of different things or whatever. Yeah. Well, I think when it comes down to like, like if you want to set up this huge sound it's system, still it's still just as expensive as it ever right. was. But I mean, just because it's expensive doesn't mean that it's good stuff. 
Um, Good point. You know yeah, what I mean? absolutely. Like, yeah. I mean, I've been in the, to spaces that had um, Audio Technic mics and uh, JBL speakers, and they worked fine. Um, I've worked in spaces that had Meyer speakers and just huge soundboards and, you know, Sennheiser mics and how just expensive stuff, and it works for that space. Um, so it, it, I guess it all depends on who's behind the board, you know, how do you, you know, use that type of equipment effectively. Um, so, are you familiar with Neumann? Is it Neumann or Neumann? Neumann? Yeah, 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 great mic, great mic. Neumann, Neumann, <laughs> oh, Neumann's here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, great mic. Um, I became a, um, I am not a gearhead type of person. Okay. I'm the opposite of an engineer. I'm very much the uh, creative kind of entrepreneur guy. Um, and but occasionally I get like mad scientist into some thing that has kind of an engineer like aspect Doc to Brown. it, like Doc Brown, um, for example. And um, <laughs> so like for a while I got heavy into becoming kind of a gearhead. On the beginning of this transition of things becoming for the the guy in his house, and um, this was in uh, maybe early 2000s, the end of the 90s, early 2000s. Um, and so I was buying mics and I was researching all this stuff and I learned all about the Sennheisers and the Neumanns and all this stuff. And that was just when um, those uh, Japanese mics were coming out that were claiming that they could match all the stuff of a Neumann for $350. I mean, they, they couldn't, of course. But, but still, though... World War II all over again. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. But even though, they, even though they weren't exactly that, it still was a uh, movement toward an incredible emphasis on quality at really, really low costs. Right. You know, it was amazing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, back at Clemson, go Tigers. Um, in the program, um, he taught us how to use, I'm gonna say, crap equipment. So if we were in the environment to where that's all that they had, we knew how to use it. And we were able to use that as well as the high-end, you know, pro audio stuff. Um, so I remember uh, my first day, he had us on a Mackie, eight-channel board with uh, with the SM57, and he wanted us to beat back the mic just to make sure, you know, we knew what happened and, you know, knew, knew what to do um, and knew what not to do. And then he said, all right, now we're going to move you to, um, what, what, what do you have? Uh, we have a Yamaha uh, IS9, and we're going to have you feedback on that mic. Not this mic, because, you know, it, it might mess it up. Right, but, um, and, and just being able to transition from the low end to the high end and just getting, like, a well-rounded, I always heard that Steven Tyler has been recording on the same SM57 <laughs> since the 70s. I always heard that. I don't yeah, know if it's right. true. Well, the SM57, to totally like steal language that I've heard from other people, is like the workhorse yeah. of the audio this is world. It's a microphone. Yeah, the microphone. The SM57 is a microphone. Yeah, <laughs> drop it in mud, spill beer on it, run over it, and it'll still work <laughs> just fine. It's I a mean, touring microphone. Exactly. You can put it on a uh, snare drum and you can sing out of right. it. Like, <laughs> true. You out of it. Yeah. That's cool, man. <laughs> I got into uh, like uh, large diaphragm condenser mics and all that kind of stuff. Just my dip into gearheadism. So, so are you? I mean, does that kind of stuff excite you? Do you like the gear and the? I mean, I like the shiny objects. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't <laughs> mind it. Um, but it's not a necessity. You know what I mean? Um, I just work with what I'm, you know, what I'm given or you know what I have. Yeah. Um, so I'm not picky necessarily. Um, well, you know, um, to go back to that whole church experience you had, you know, obviously church is a place where people come to be inspired and, and to have uh, an experience that is uh, serious in their lives. I mean, while they're, you know, laughing and, and having camaraderie, ultimately it has a serious place in their lives. And the role of music and sound in that inspirational experience is so significant. And all the more reason to do a good job, too. Because uh, like you said, if it's good, no one notices it, and they go back to what they're doing. If it's bad, they're yeah. looking up at you at the booth and wondering what's going on. And, but, um, and it was kind of intense, too, and, and you know, kind, of, kind of pressure. I mean, because I mean, you, know, you don't want to mess up anyone's you know, worship or you know, you know, stuff like that. So um, well, it sounds like if the type of stuff you were describing it sounds like this is a church that takes music pretty seriously. Yeah. Very seriously. Um, and I mean, let me see, they have two regular worship services um, and a contemporary service. Um, 
which is, you know, with the full, you know, band, uh, singers, stuff like that. So, um, you know, one is more, I guess, formal than the other one, I guess. Um, this is as opposed to the church I was into about three weeks ago, where there were like three 85-year-old white women going like, oh, 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 in the chorus. And that was like, that was it. That was the music. Right. You know? And I mean, working there and then working for my home church, it was vast differences. I mean, right. I... I came from a church that had two mics, no sound guy, no soundboard, just a little, you know, uh, PV, you know, just and yeah, actually, I mean, you know, very small, you know, very, very minimal. So to work at you know CUMC and to see all this stuff and then you know all this growth, it was just overwhelming at first. But again, you know, they were patient. They let me make mistakes. Um, so great experience. So when you go to like. Since this is what you do, like if you go to if you go see a show or you go to the movies or whatever, are you like totally lost in like judging the sound? My family would tell you I'm the worst. Um, I'm like, oh man, you know, what's the EQ on that? You know, you need to turn out some of the 500. You know, just stuff like that. Um, and then I have perfect pitch too, so that doesn't help at all. Oh wow, yeah. Um, so it's like, oh, you know, you're a little sharp there, but you know, I understand that everyone. I mean, you know, what they do is what they do. Um, I'm fascinated with perfect pitch. Are you miserable all the time? <laughs> He it's weird. Decide. He can't decide if he's visual. Uh, he's not a freak, but you know, I mean, it's it's, it's weird. Uh, you know, I mean, um, I mean, I, I remember growing up. Um, you know, my parents would turn me into like a circus act. It was like, hey, you know, what note is that? You know, it's just you know stuff like that. Um, and then you know, as I got older, I had to learn how to you know tone it down. You know, not to look so much like a prick. Uh, so, but, do I, now, so they, do you share this? I I do not have perfect pitch, okay. but I have. Uh, written a in a perfect behind <laughs> you have a perfect tush so no so with with my perfect tush when i'll you know i'll be out somewhere and somebody you know nobody sometimes nobody notices and i get a little upset yeah. nobody points it out you can't tolerate anybody's tush you're like i mean that's not yeah, perfect when i see most tushes i just blech. i just have to just look up so i don't see tushes um <laughs> but um <laughs> What I was going to say is that I, well, like I said, I don't have that perfect ear. I have written and recorded a lot of music, and with me, I will say, when someone whistles, like, casually in public, it is, like, nails on a chalkboard to me, unless it is the flawless whistling. And I feel terrible about that. Do you share that, the See, whistling thing? not necessarily the whistling, but I'm funny about cover songs being sung or played, you know, in the same key. Um, if it's in a different key, I'm like, what's wrong with you? Can't you not play? You know, wow. just, just, you know, small stuff like that. That's crazy that you can hear that kind of thing. Yeah, um, and just sitting in a symphonic band or, you know, just, you know, within a marching band and someone's out of tune. And I'm just like, not hear that you're like 10 cents off here or just this. So could you hear like, for to put it in my language, because I play guitar. Okay. Let's say that um, to me, the guitar sounds in tune, but the, uh, the, G, the, the G string is up a little bit. I mean, are you thinking, oh, what I hear, I just hear it all as a whole. And if that was just one string is out, I'm just like, oh, that just ruins the entire guitar, man. Just, but um, again, I just have to learn how to deal with it because I know everyone's not, you know, not a mutant like I am. But um, just, so yeah, I don't know. Um, and, and a lot of that came from me learning, you know, the piano at such a young age, and and, and that's what kind of helped me, you know, so do, do you that. Think that was nurture, or do you think it's nature? If you were born with perfect pitch. Oh. I think so. Um, like I said, I started, you know, I mean. My whole life, and I don't have perfect fit for, yeah. for anything. Yeah. Um, and, again, I started out just sitting on the front pew at my church watching our organist and just mimicking what she did back in my house. Awesome. Um, I mean, and then now that I think back at it, it was in the same key, um, the same style. I mean, I just mimic you know, what I heard. So you were listening to it and re- main, and sort of retaining that and right. replicating. Interesting, exactly. because I when I <clears throat> when I was a teenager, well, actually, I was a late teenager, but I bought my first guitar with my first job, and I would watch people play on Letterman or whatever. I would tape it, and I would have stare at their hands, and that's how yeah. I sort of like first learned to play guitar. Was I just would look Not at their sound? It was visual. It was visual, yeah. And I to this, yeah, to this day, I can sit around and play guitar with people, and now I, it's a, I'm still I can still sort of like uh, figure out where the 
I can guessing. Yeah. I can't play by ear, but okay. and then I have to like guess kind of. Okay. But if like, I'm sitting around with people, I'll uh, you know, it's it's sort of like like I know 90% of songs are in G. If people are sitting around playing guitar, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's it's mostly guesswork. I'll admit, as, okay. as many years as I've been playing music, it's it's 90% guesswork. Yeah. So that's that's awesome that you have, you can identify notes like that. Yeah. Um, Let's see what keys this song is in now. I, I mean, you just catch yourself just like, what key is that? Or what key is that light on? You just, just like small stuff like that. You know, I, I wonder, like, um, it's, you know, my default thinking is, well, what a great thing to have in your audio engineer is, you know, that type of, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, like a, a type of perfection, like a type of uh, dead-onness, you know what I mean? And I think that's great. On the other hand, do you get frustrated with the creative artist guy who you're like, oh my God, tune your guitar, please. And this song is in the key of, key of D flat, by the way. Okay. But, uh, I mean... <laughs> Wait a minute, hold on. Don't ever say Guns N' Roses is flat again, ever. <laughs> my, my lips are sealed. Uh, but, uh, no, um, I mean, now I have a way of you know respecting you know what the artist put out because I'm like well maybe that's what they intended to do maybe I don't know probably not yeah. yeah I mean it's just it's just one of those things that, you know again benefits though from you saying hey dude look listen like keep partying and but let me tune your guitar and now now play yeah that may be true but a lot of them don't appreciate that so you, you know it, it's one of those things I don't know as someone who's so knowledgeable and has so much natural skill at that technical aspect do you ever find yourself Wishing you didn't so that you could more enjoy a more visceral because I say as a filmmaker There are times when I'm at the movies and uh, I do or I hear, I hear people talk about the, Whatever Michael Bay movie or or a specific love Tango and Cash. And you're yeah, like, Tango I wish I could love. Yeah, 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 exactly there, there have been times when you know someone will talk about like a Michael Bay movie or maybe like a a movie made by Michael Bay, you know, oh, yeah, something for that example. She, for example, to throw out several examples for a certain length, like a Michael Bay movie that's just garbage, <laughs> just total garbage, just wet, decaying garbage, and they love it, you know. And I, the thing is, is while I'm slamming that movie, I am jealous because I want to go watch robots run around. I want it so bad, and I can't because all I can focus on is how this movie is disgustingly bad. Yeah. Do you ever find yourself jealous of that? Uh, at times. Um, like I said, so sitting in like a concert somewhere or in like a prime example, symphony orchestra. Because um, I'm constantly listening to, okay, are the violins tuned correctly? If not, then okay. Because that just ruins the entire, for me, that just ruins, ruins the entire piece for me. Especially hearing, you know, recordings of the same piece. Or So um, if I heard the New York Philharmonic play the exact same symphony by Beethoven and go to... Uh, college symphony and I'm like right. yeah, that's, that's yeah. you're awful. imagining how good it could be exactly yeah. right um, yeah that's what hurts yeah you know I, I'm gonna quickly share this story I, I played a show with a um, little group I had called Broadwater Graham it was just me and another guy named Ben Graham we played acoustic guitars and uh, it'd be weird if the band was already called that before you joined it yeah it was weird it was called <laughs> Broadwater Graham and then Ben and I joined it <laughs> because of the name actually we tracked them down and asked if we could join um but um, it was acoustic guitars, and then we started introducing other, like he started playing the harmonica, and we were looking to introduce potentially other instruments. And I thought, I'd, oh man, I'm gonna play the violin. That's gonna be great, I'm gonna play the violin. Oh my gosh. Oh, you're just gonna pick it up? I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna pick oh, up the violin, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play the violin. And I was like, you know, don't worry man, it'll be cool, because I'm just gonna play a couple notes that are just like a counter melody, and then I'll put it down, and then I'll get back on the guitar, and it's gonna be totally cool. Okay, so. It was so much harder than I thought. Oh, First yeah. of all, I couldn't keep it from squeaking. Secondly, I couldn't hit the notes. And right. I have, you know, you have pitch perfect. I, if, you're, if your uh, range is a centimeter wide on what is accurate, mine is like two feet wide. And so if I was even within two feet, I felt like I was hitting the note and I was still struggling with hitting the note. Yeah. So, so we played a show, right? And so when we were um, sound checking, we did that song and I, did the three notes and the sound guy was like, ah, like he didn't know how to say it. He's like, I don't think you're hitting the three notes that you're wanting to hit. And I'm like, okay, okay, let's try it again. And I'd play and he goes, I don't think you're hitting this. He was trying to, I really don't think you're hitting the notes. And I was like, no, I nailed it that time. He's like, I really don't think that you're. Yeah. That's funny. So the thing is, here's how it's funny, like that whole um, quote from Shakespeare in Love, the whole thing, you know, uh, don't worry, it'll work out, it's theater. Uh, so, we played, I decided to do the song anyway, because again, my ignorance and, and arrogance led me to do so. 
We get to that song, we're playing it. I pick, I put down the guitar, I pick up the violin, and we'll stand beside me. We're sitting on chairs playing, and I play the three notes. I'm thinking, I think I hit it, but I'm sure the sound guy's saying I sound like a fool. Put it down, keep playing, whatever. After the show, the sound guy was like, you completely nailed those three notes. Like, Dude. absolutely completely nailed them. And you, did, and you, were, you didn't even, it I just didn't happened. any difference. I had no difference. To me, wow. it was all the same that I've been rehearsing, and he kept going, no, that's horrible. You should not play that. Wow, good for you. Yeah, yeah it's, you know, I've, I, guitars are like dogs, and traditional string instruments are like cats. And that, like, like the guitar wants you to play. You know, yeah, it's like, it, looking at it like, please, let's play, let's play. The violin thinks you're a total dumbass. Yeah. <laughs> it does not yeah. want you, it wants you to just leave it alone, right. don't and mess with it, it. Yeah. and feed it and take, make sure it doesn't get stolen, but otherwise just let it be. does not want you to play it. Yeah. And it judges you constantly. Mm-hmm. So, so in your playing of instruments, um, I guess I'm sure that feeds into your playing of instruments. Do you feel like, I mean, you say you were playing horns, right? I picked up saxophone in seventh grade, um, and I started out by playing by ear, saying, okay, I press these three keys, that makes a G, or, and then I had to learn how to read music, so I had to go back and, and then relearn how to read the G music. Um, same thing with the piano, I started out playing by ear, and then when it came time for lessons, I was like, I don't want to do this. So, um, so and then the saxophone changed to clarinet, and I just translated what I did on the saxophone to the clarinet, because the fingers are about the same once you hit the bridge, um, and then it's all downhill from there. But, um, yeah, but you, didn't, you had the, in the clarinet, you had the uh, reed. Right. Oh, it's a woodwind, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were playing uh, brass before. Well, no, uh, saxophones oh, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so they had the reed as well. Right, uh, just a different size reed um, and a different embouchure, too. I remember my first time blowing What's into. What word did you say? Oh, um, embouchure. So the way that you fix your lips and your mouth to support the reed and the, and, and the mouthpiece to make sound. Um, and there's different embouchures for saxophone, clarinet. Oboe and, and bassoonas, just crazy embouchures. Um, but um, I remember making my first note on the clarinet, and it was a squeak. I was like, "But I'm holding my mouth." It's like, "No, no, no! You have to do this and make weird faces." And um, so it's it's a whole different world with with uh, with a wind instrument compared to the piano, where you just you know do whatever you want to with your face. So when you hit the piano key, yeah. it is tuned or not tuned, uh -huh. and so if it's in tune. Hitting it, it's going to be a perfect pitch. But yet, on a horn or something, or a woodwind, a variation in the way you hold your lips would alter the pitch. Is that accurate? Or? Not necessarily. Um, I think that's true on brass instruments. Um, now, you can you can alter your lips to make it flat, like on the spot, you know, within the piece. Um, but you can't play the entire piece with your mouth just drop like that, because then you start squeaking. Um, so you can tune, pulling out the mouthpiece, uh, or pushing in the mouthpiece. Uh, um, on a clarinet, you can pull out at the body and you know so just different stuff like that. Going to be perfect, always perfectly in tune, or does it have to be tuned and adjusted in some way? Um, a lot of that has to do with the player. Um, so just because you set the mouthpiece in one spot and it sounds good on a on a concert A, it's not going to sound good on all all the rest of the notes. Same thing on the saxophone, same thing on the flute, trumpet. So as a musician, you have to practice, practice, practice. Um, and just train your ear to say, okay, you know, this note's gonna be flat, so I have to, you know, fix my mouth this way, or and just various stuff like that. So now, your opinion, since you, since you have, you're so knowledgeable and skilled, there's there's an eternal argument in music pop culture that I sort of always think of as Steve Vai versus Bob Dylan. Okay. You know? The idea is how many necks should be on a guitar. Exactly, yeah, yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. That's the argument. Should there be less than three or more than six necks on a guitar? That's ten necks. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, what, what's, what are your thoughts on like musicianship, technical ability versus more sort of like visceral, like I said, I know when we first sat down, you were talking about the Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan, wow, Bob Marley poster over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I would I would personally think of Bob Marley as more of a soulful musician oh, yeah. versus a technical musician, not that he couldn't play music well, but, but I'm saying like, w what are your thoughts on that subject, that argument? Because there are some people who are flat out like, Bob Dylan's horrible. They're like, Miles Dean is all I yeah. listen to. Yeah. Be because, like, because people like Joe Satriani can play guitar so well, therefore people like Connor Oberst are morons. Like, where do you feel, where are you in that argument? Um, to be honest, I'm kind of in the middle. Uh, it just depends on the person for me. So, prime example, Bob Marley, I mean, I think he's more of a personality. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with his voice, and he's he was very different. 
Uh, whereas if you go to someone like Eric Clapton, who also plays the guitar or you know something like that, um, I mean, you just have to. Um, again, I'm. It just depends on the person for me. Um, but. Um, so 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 okay. So to expand on that. Okay. Um, so Bob Marley is definitely, obviously, as a personality. I mean, he's he's a, a, a cultural icon. You know what I mean? Um, but he made some sick music, dude. Some awesome, beautiful, beautiful music. So, is it is it the level of like soul he can inject into it versus his command of audio control or something? I mean, you can play the guitar like magic, but still sound like crap. And and vice versa. And um. I mean, if you, if it sounds natural and it sounds good, I'm all for it. Um, but if one's lacking, then I'm kind of like, eh. Uh, well, funny, man. I had a debate with a guy I used to be in a band with, um, and if, if he would ever listen to this podcast, he probably won't ever, but I'll say who it is. This is a guy named Greg that I was in a band with uh, for a long time. But um, So he was. we had this uh, album that we both love, and uh, <clears throat> it's, it's, called, uh, it's by a band called Rights of Spring. It's a punk kind of album back in the late 80s and um, this album is iconic in a lot of ways so for the tiny group of people that are conscious this even exists it's a huge uh, cultural iconic album you know for that genre crew or whatever you know the late 80s punk early 90s punk and all that and then how that led into whatever else but um so people that know about it there's a there's a cult following almost around this this album so to speak but um so he was talking about how, um, and, I, and I'm doing. I'm sure I'll do him an injustice in trying to quote what he was arguing. But he was arguing that <clears throat> I'll do it anyway. He was arguing <laughs> that um, that boy, that album was great, and man, would it not have been amazing if it would have been produced well? Because it, oh, it kind of sound-wise, it sounds like shit. You know, excuse my language, uh, pod, podcast audience. Listen, three guys out there listening, I apologize for that curse word. Um, but my argument was, you've only ever heard it the way you've heard it. And it's one of your top three albums of all time. And you're not alone. Everybody you know is also in their top ten of all time. And you've only heard it the way you've heard it. So it is exactly those imperfect imperfections in sound that somehow give it that character that makes you love it so much, you know? I mean, where do you, what do you feel about that? Um, I agree. Um, there's definitely some older recordings of certain bands. So, disclaimer, I'm a fairly decent classical music lover. Um, so there's recordings from Boston Symphony from back in the, back in the 60s that, again, um, whether it was the recording engineer or that type of, uh, type of uh, equipment and, and, and tape that they had back then that helped the, helped the, um, that helped that recording sound the way that it does, and I can hear the exact same piece um, live uh, from a from the New York Philharmonic. Or and I'm like, ah, I kind of like that one, you know, like better. The There's color added by those imperfections somehow. Definitely, definitely. definitely. Have you thought about? Have you tried to manufacture color through injecting imperfection in audio production? Uh. So you're saying like uh, distortion or phasing or... But almost, not even distortion, but almost like making it sound a little crappy on purpose so that it sounds like a drunk rock and roll band in a... In a like, have you ever done any of that kind of stuff? Personally, no, um, but I know people who have done it. Um, now, but that's just... I'm going to add this. And this is, I always point to this as in between. Uh, Hank Williams III has an album... Uh, it's called Straight to Hell or something like that. Yeah, to me, that is an example of, you think this can't exist, but there's, that is an example of an album that is recorded so raw and real and dirty, yet somehow inexplicably pristine and flawless. It's, it's, I can't think of anything else like it. It's the well, one I might consider. To choose a pop artist, which wouldn't normally be the uh, group that I would choose from, but you know the guy um, that sings that, Take me to church. Uh, yeah, yeah, Hosier. Yeah, Hosier. Yeah. Well, if you listen to that album, his vocal is on some type of mic or or uh, or something. Whether they're whether it's you know a setting on a, a, a digital thing, I don't know, or whether it's some Neumann or something that they're overdriving it on purpose. But 
it it breaks. Like when he gets big, it like almost goes into this weird like it's like you could almost claim that it's not well done. Like it sounds kind of crappy, yet it makes it sound like the '60s kind of you know soul music right. and that's what makes that album so good right you know? yeah it's like the ronnie specter sound you know that that was engineered to the wall the big wall of sound yeah, yeah i said ronnie, ronnie specter was his wife at the time the phil specter sound sorry um that's the wall of sound that he was sort of engineered he was engineering that music to sound the basically the point was that it would be the loudest on those horrible crappy radios that people were listening to it all back then, but it was such a distinctive sound, and there are many people who can consider that a bad sound. But it's unquestionably, it hits you. It hits you so hard, and it it, it, it is it's veering outside of what you'd call pristine. And is of course the classic example, man. I mean, the Stones always somehow sound like they just stumbled into the studio impromptu and just hit the own button and just happened to record the most brilliant song in the world by accident. They always sound like that. So we, this episode has definitely diverged into us just talking about <laughs> rock and roll. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Okay, yeah, I'm fine with that. Well, we got an audio guy on the show, man. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. So what you, do you, would you like to record rock and roll or classical? Uh, you know what? I would have to say classical because of my background, um, and that's what I know. Um, to be honest, rock and roll, that's... I mean, I wouldn't say that it's new to me, but I'm not as as familiar, at, you know, with it as I am with other classical pieces, classical um, ensembles. Um, so I would much rather do classical music than rock. Although uh, back at Clemson, they taught us how to mix rock and roll, um, and they and they tell you that you can't mix a classical concert the same way that you mix jazz or the same way that you mix rock and roll. Um, so. Um, but that's just my preference, and people think that I'm weird. So, how do you? How in the world do you even set up a session with a classical? I mean, um, do you mean for for a recording or just just uh, either? I'm just I, you know I'm just used to like three guys on four guys on stage with like SM57s. You know, like how do you set up an ensemble? Um, I've seen it to where each each player has been individually mic. So like on really? a sound stage for like wow. film. Um, the most common is using what they call, uh, I think it's a decatree, which is three mics at, you know, right above the conductor's head, one in the middle, and two on the sides to get that stereo field sound. Like uh, condenser? Uh, those, are, those, are, those are condenser mics. Condenser mics? Or mics. Yeah. yeah, okay. That, have you heard then that, that everybody argues about the first place bluegrass music was recorded, which bluegrass was originally recorded, one condenser might well. Some it was a tin can, and everybody would stand around and play it. But even today, if there are many bluegrass bands that will go to record, and they just record into one condenser mic. And when somebody pumps for your solo, you get close to the mic. But have you heard the argument that the very first bluegrass was recorded in Rock Hill, which some people argue? Really? Right up here on Main Street, um, at the place that is now, um, I think this place is now that little. It's like a kind of a uh, elderly folks kind of. Yeah. Yeah. But it was some original like. Uh, country kind of western uh, recordings were happening there and the story is that a band shows up and kind of some bands and then a little culture of bands that are western country but really they're not they're kind of uh, more bluegrass and like they Bill Monroe, the, the, the rumor the, well the whatever the legends that Bill Monroe recorded there there are people that would get angry that I even said allegedly <laughs> or some people say because it's just we've been to Bristol Tennessee and they'll tell you that well the first bluegrass was recorded in Bristol Tennessee so that's interesting. Well, I actually recorded a band one time, and my um, convincing myself I was an engineer, an audio engineer, and that blip of convincing myself I had the qualities of an engineer. I recorded a bluegrass band with a large diaphragm, large diaphragm condenser mic. Well, you were in France, so it was a diaphragm. A diaphragm condenser mic, <laughs> where they all uh, fromage. It was cheese. It was made out of cheese, but they all. Um, circled around it and um, you know got close when yeah. they soloed and they all sang into it too and they got close when they wanted to be loud and they managed they did all the mic management they did it as a as a group these kids were in high school wow. and the mic management they demonstrated was exceptional that's a tradition oh, yeah, bluegrass, yeah, yeah. It is. you gotta that's be good at that yeah you, that's like well cause that's every, everything I am 
and the older I get, the more this gets true, that I'm fascinated by culture, culture of all kinds. And like that's representative of a culture. There's a culture, there's a bluegrass culture that tells you you got you, it's important that you know how to play these licks just as well as that you understand that when you go to record you're not going to have a bunch of mics hooked up right. you're going it's that culture that tells you that and, and for some people that's uh it's funny and silly that you have these sort of socially enforced yeah. things or whatever but that's that's what culture is it's a bunch of socially enforced norms and ideas and concepts yeah. chris i didn't listen to anything that you just said sorry good <laughs> but i mean um the saying the same can be said for like jazz. So you know, when it's time for you to solo, you step up to the mic and you know, yeah, right. you know, blow your horn or you know, your problem with this. Um, and if I, you didn't know that, it would be embarrassing, right? Exactly. Yeah, uh, it's culture. Yeah. <laughs> embarrassment. <laughs> embarrassment for not knowing what you're supposed to do. Right. Definitely. Um, <laughs> I fear and embarrassment. Exactly. Yeah. So Robbie, let me circle back around and say, um, I hope that you are able to find. I know you're working at the Arts Council right now, right? Correct. Yeah. And I know you're helping that crowd out, and I'm sure you're an asset over there. And um, I hope that you're able to, to find a place to um, add value with your talents here in this community. Because we started this podcast with the conversation of, like, you know, why haven't you up and gone somewhere else? Well, the philosophy of the, this podcast is that while we encourage anybody to pursue any anything go anywhere and do anything you know whatever they dream of want to do the philosophy of this podcast is that it's not a necessity to leave this place to be engaged in the most creative most amazing of endeavors that those things can happen in this in this place so um i thank you for being on this podcast thank you for having me i mean the fact that you asked me i was like y'all don't have anybody else to interview but um I'm just, I'm just glad that I can be a part. So, so you know, thank you guys. Thank you. You did great, and I want to apologize for Chris. Uh, it's okay. No, <laughs> you don't. You don't know about what I've done yet. <laughs> I say that in advance. We will send you a check and a letter of apology. <laughs> and um, I'd like to close with, you know, a, a wise word. A song. I'd like to close with a psalm. <laughs> and with a, a wise word. Uh, from, from Ever Everwise, Silent Micah. Ugh, God. Very well said, man. Couldn't, couldn't have said it better myself. I, yeah, well, different strokes for different folks. Hey, tears in my eyes, Micah. <laughs> tears in my eyes, my friend. So, anywho, uh, I guess join us next week on uh, Old Town, New World.